Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard, and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And this week, I'm looking at supported living. Now, it's a bit of a buzz niche, lots of excitement about it, because on the face of it, it can be very profitable, both in the short and the long term. And that's what's driving a lot of the interest. But more vitally, I think it's absolutely essential for society as a whole, for more of us to be thinking about, can I do supported living? Can I enable more people to live in houses that have been specially adapted, whatever the adaptation is? Now, I've put my hands up to this. I had no idea this kind of niche property work even existed until I recorded my episode with Elaine Hughes, which was number 75, who at this point of recording had only, well, had been waiting for five years on a council list, waiting to get into a suitable property. And that is the nub of it. She had been looked at by social services and could not access all the requirements that she needs financially, etc., until she moved into a property that had been assessed as correct for her needs, which weren't incidentally huge. But having been assessed by the system, the only properties she could live in were those that they deemed suitable. And that is why she was on the council list for five years. Now, it's very easy to think that doing something a little different to the normal will cost a bit more, you know, reduce profit, perhaps not actually make it worth your while. This is what Maria Claxton, who works in Norfolk and Suffolk, does. Now, I've worked with Maria for several years now, and so I feel absolutely confident that she will tell us the truth about what it's like working in this field. And I've seen for myself the proof of the pudding, so I hope she'll inspire more of us to think outside the box. Welcome, Maria. And um, one of the reasons I would I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you today, is that you specialise in what's become a bit of a trendy and a niche area that can go so right and yet so wrong. You are known locally as a bit of a marvel in supported living. What What is supported living? Well, that's very kind to start. Um, so I suppose to put it very succinctly, Supported living essentially is a housing service where an individual has been assessed as eligible for care and or support to help them live as independently as possible. Right. So these are people who haven't just decided they'd quite like to live in a sort of 
HMO for disabled or needing care people. These are people who have the system has decreed need help. Essentially, yeah. So, I mean, it could be all manner of people. It could be sort of supported living to health people with learning disability and autism, people with complex care needs. Um, it could be adults at risk of homelessness, people with alcohol and substance misuse um, issues, children and young people in care or just leaving care. It could be refugees, individuals fleeing from domestic violence. There's just an all range of people. Right. So this is a much bigger umbrella than everyone thinks. And it isn't, so therefore, just another variation on an HMO theme, is it? No, it's not at all. The end user is really important. Absolutely. The most important thing. You have to lead with your end user in mind. Um, I think I've had conversations with people. Oh, I've got this property, Marie. I think it lends itself really well to supported living. What do you think? And, and always my first question is, well, what's the demand? Who, who is your tenant going to be? And they have no idea. So, of course, how do you know that it lends itself well? Yes. And, of course, the other thing is that you know, when you say supported living and a building, are these all monstrously large buildings or can they be quite small? Uh, again, it, it's really dependent on the individual's needs and preferences. So, for example, it could be a single homeless adult in the local area that just perhaps is eligible for some support needs So and they qualify for the shared room rate under the local housing allowance. So uh, perhaps the HMO would suit them really well. But if you're, if you're talking about an individual with complex care needs, um, perhaps a physical disability, then perhaps, you know, something like a single level bungalow with some adaptations would be much more appropriate for them. So it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all approach. Fantastic. Now, one of the reasons that you can toss off these explanations and understanding so easily is that this is not something you just stumbled across in property when you were going and saying, where can I, where can I make some profit next? Before you got into property and after the Navy, you actually ran a care company, didn't you? So you understand the people you're working with. I did. And it was purely through sort of working in the trust and the private sector within <laughs> healthcare. Like many of us, I'm sure, you know, whilst our NHS is wonderful, there are some flaws. And I was incredibly frustrated at the failures in the system. And um, so I sort of thought to myself, right, what can I do? You know, we can make it better. And so I created um, Care of Compassion, which was a domiciliary care company um, in the local community. So we provided a minimum of one hour care per week that could be helping someone just with shopping and things like that, right through to 24 hours living care, um, you know, right through to the last days of their life. So end of life care, which was fantastic. I mean, we had a team of six. We were turning over about 350 care hours a week. Uh, I had uh, contracts with the local authorities, um, private contracts, contracts with um, the CCG, so the NHS Michelin teams. And it was really, really great. Yeah. But that's really interesting because, again, you've just created a whole lot of, you know, TLAs, as they're known, three-letter abbreviations, within <laughs> the care system and within the NHS. That means that you you completely get what these people need, which is an awful lot easier. You are not coming from this just, I have a building, how can I maximise it, all the rest of it, what's the floor plan, all the rest of it. You know perfectly well, in order for this to uh, to work, 
then the funders have got to be on board, haven't they? Now, who are the funders generally in this? I mean, because presumably this is not an anonymous investor sitting somewhere. No. So um, when we talk about commissioners, that could be the local authorities, so the local councils. It could be the NHS clinical commissioning group, so the CCGs who fund the care for those individuals, so the care packages. Sort of on the side of the more housing things, there's grants and things available from Homes England, and there's capital funding available to the affordable homes grants, specifically to developers. But again, it's all dependent if you're registered with the LAs, etc. So it is about knowing the right people. And when I saw you present at the Norwich Property Group, it was definitely you've got uh, yourself and your knowledge, and then you've got the commissioning bodies who will be the ones supplying those who wish to live there and everything else. But there can be an investor behind the scenes who will actually own the asset once it's finished, isn't it? Now, they they may not be, they may be the funder, but not actually be involved in anything else, mightn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you mean sort of more what my role within that would be, as in the sort of turnkey services that we offer or Yes, because I, one of the things that struck me was that at the moment you don't own or, uh, you know, th- sadly, you know, because this is <laughs> like any property person, you hate to actually do anything that you don't finally own. You don't own every single building that you work on. Yeah. Um, and therefore, some that, you know, although that you finished it, you've got the right people in place, you've got all the right contracts in place for it to work, sometimes they are actually owned by another person who's paid you to get this all sorted out for them, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. It is just that classic, you can't keep them all, can you? So um, it was just no. a case of, um, I know, it would be lovely, but no. Um, so some of the properties and obviously to the communication and the relationships I have with the local authorities and commissioners, I can give you an example actually of a recent, I'll call it a turnkey, in that um, yep. I had a potential lease. Um, I, I knew what the local authority were looking for. They were looking to house single homeless adults in a certain area. And quite literally, you can just go shopping for them. And so we knew that the support was commissioned because the local authority said, yes, we have this demand. I work closely with a registered provider who have the contract as such uh, through the local authority to give us the lease as the landlord. So they're the sort of middle person that protects everybody. Uh, and so I sourced the property um, for another investor, essentially. Uh, she didn't have any idea about supported living or supported housing. Loved the idea of a hands-off investment. And quite literally, we got a five-year lease in place with no management, no voids, uh, minimal maintenance. And it was above market rent, so she was super happy. But the deal in itself, so it was two two-bed properties that we sourced in Durham Town Centre. And so we turned those into two four-bed compliant HMOs and we did everything, gutted them and did everything. Um, And then, of course, we handed those over to the registered provider. The investor got a five-year lease on those. And the numbers, I'll always give you the numbers. So, um, we love numbers. The the purchase was 325,500. The refurb and fees was 120,000. And then because it was two properties, so the combined GDV was 550000 And then her rent for those was 3120 And then they mark my nice fees. Um, I mean, I typically charge 5% of the purchase price for a sourcing fee. So that was 16275 And we got that at the point of exchange. 
And then um, sort of sourcing it, project managing, refurb, getting the lease in place and quite literally handing over the keys. Um, I got a nice little 10000 for that as well. So, yeah, it's a lovely deal. And I think the cherry on the cake with this one is, and I didn't put this in my numbers, um, there's a nice bit of land at the back um, that our planning consultants have looked at. And um, it's very likely that she'll get some planning for two two-bed flats. So, um, but she, she doesn't want to do that just yet. So um, that's fair enough. So yeah, lovely deal, that one. Absolutely. And that, that again, you know, this is not, this is not something for a beginner. Uh, there's a lot of skills involved in pulling all of this together. When, straight away, you talked about a sourcing fee. Well, you've got to understand how to get investors, how to deal with their paperwork and, and really what they need and understand. to be. And then you got well paid for it. That was fantastic. And again, you were able to deliver what she needed. Now, is that the one that completely blew me away? The concept of having skirting boards that are the heaters? No, this is that's our one. That's the, um, the, the bigger development down the road from there, though. Yeah. Yes. Now, again, the what most people get the impression is that this is this is normal property developing. You know, we all know how to strip out. We all know how to put it in. We all know how to make something look fantastic. But actually, what you do often, it's slightly, slightly quirky because it has to be for what they need. And explain about heated skirting boards. Why, why not a radiator? Oh, OK. So... Yeah, so that's a development that is ours that we don't know whether we're going to keep or sell yet. The numbers are good either way. But essentially, again, it comes down to who is your tenant going to be? So these are nine one-bed self-contained flats in a detached block. And so we know, or it's certainly we confirmed actually, it's likely to be adults with learning disabilities and autism and possibly complex care needs. So we thought it probably appropriate to put in the infrared skirting so there was no radiators. Mainly because, um, you know, if you have radiators lurking around on the walls, they can be damaged and people can sort of with complex care needs um, or challenging behaviours, perhaps they'll rip them off, hurt themselves or anybody else. But not only that, with that, there's there's such minimal infection control risk, which, of course, anything within healthcare is is a real plus. And the cost of it's brilliant too. So, um, yeah, we're going with that. That's a lovely thought. It's just, I mean, you can tell it's just completely stuck in my mind since I saw you talking through that deal. Can can all of us access these kinds of skirting boards, or you know, or have we just not been, you know, have they just not flagged themselves up to us? Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, absolutely can. I think it's one of those, isn't it? The government's pushing us to go green and all electric and everything, but it's really difficult because, of course, when you come to do your, your SAP calculations for conversions and all these things. They don't really come up brilliantly um, when you're using electricity. No, they heating. don't. In fact, from an EPC Whoa. point of view, it's an absolute nightmare. Oh. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I think it will get better, but it's just not recognised at the moment. It's not the Elmhurst um, system. But yes, essentially, we wanted to go all electric. We knew we still had to get the EPC up to a C. Um, you can still use it in your residential properties. I think the only reason people don't is perhaps they don't know about them and... Maybe they're worried about the EPC ratings, but there are other things you can do that doesn't cost the earth. Um, I think it's a great system because, I, I, you know, like our NHS, they use the infrared panels, don't they? Um, so yes. it's the same principle, yes. but it's just in skirting. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's available for anyone to use. But most people haven't come across it. But, you know, again, this you, for instance, were 
very much committed to making sure that the bills come down and everything else. Because in I know you did an amazing flip in Bungie where um, you know it was all electric, which halved the amount of sort of stuff that was going on in the building. It meant that it was so, honestly, it was a tiny building. You really couldn't have coped with, um, you know, large, huge water systems and everything else chugging around there. You, you'd have tripped over them. But of course, the first thing anyone said was, oh my word, it, it, from an EPC point of view, it's a nightmare because it's all electric and, and it just won't hit the values. So you've got to think of it completely as a whole, haven't you? Work out if you're going to lose those points for that, you've got to gain points in another direction by having better lagging and better systems all around. Yeah, 100% that. That all comes into when you start, because I saw the video you did of that building that you've just been describing when you started. It, it, it was gas mask time, wasn't it? It was, yeah. <laughs> so you, well, you start absolutely from scratch and do you have do you have a thought in your mind or do you go to an architect? I definitely had a thought in my mind. I knew that the I mean, I'm assuming we're talking about the, the tax obviously that we've got the planning for the nine years. Yes, unit. the biggie. The biggie that well, was well, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so looking at it, it was an old hotel mine. So you can imagine and um, there's lots of stud walls in there and the external walls are really solid. Lots and lots of natural light. So, of course, looking at windows, I was thinking, okay, we could chop this up here. We can do that there. It was detached. I was thinking, okay, we can insulate this. And, yeah, I, I was walking through. But um, once I did get my architect in, which took near on a year, as you can imagine, I mean, you saw the oh. property in, and there were people living there mm. until we completed it. It was horrendous. Um, yeah, so he, he came in, um, and I just sort of said to him, look, I think, Gary, just, just, I looked at it and went, okay, great natural light. What's the floor space? So I think it was about just under 400 square meters. And then I thought to myself, okay, simple sums. How many, knowing what the commissioners look for, particularly in Norfolk and Suffolk, I knew that, you know, minimum space standards, 37 and a half, you know, square meters for a one bed unit, if it's a shower room, 39 if it's a bathroom. Well, I knew Norfolk and Suffolk typically like to be slightly higher. So I thought to myself, okay, how many circa 40 to 42 square metre one-bed units do we think we can get out of this? Simple sums, pinged it over to my architect who obviously came out to survey it. And he's, we, we did a feasibility study. I mean, it only cost about £100. And I said to him, I said, right, wow. I think we could probably get about eight one-bed units out of this. What do you think? And, the, and I did my numbers based on that. I was quite happy. Um, and he came back and, of course, he got nine. So I was really pleased. Yeah, and then we went into planning from there. And and pl- that's the next hurdle, isn't it? So you've got, uh, uh, yeah, and there isn't, a, there's no such thing as joined up government and planning, is there? So, no. you know, did you, <laughs> you went to planning knowing that you'd got the commissioning board on side, you knew what you needed, you knew that from that point of view that it, this was a goer. How did the planning side of it work? Were they responsive? Were there huge outcries from local people? How did it go? We didn't have any issues at all. Um, to, I mean, you, you've seen the building. It's, it's in a bit of a sorry state in a very nice rural, semi-rural residential area. So I think people were pleased, you know, that we were going to do something with it. I mean, the trees are just so tall. We had to do all the usual things, agricultural surveys, et cetera. But no, we didn't have any issues at all. Yeah. That was quite a surprise because... There are many people who've done projects that are much smaller and, and a lot less contentious because people who aren't have problem 
while not 100% vanilla, often, you know, are misunderstood by the local community and are convinced something dreadful is going to happen. Um, but I've known people with far easier projects stumble at planning and have to go back. So for appeal and things. So for the fact that you got it through first time is tremendous. You obviously put everything that was needed to tick those planning boxes into the planning application. Yeah. We knew we had to do things like heritage statements and, you know, the agricultural stuff. It's just the case. I mean, I work with a great planning team. So we have the planning consultants and the architects on everything that we do. We just communicate with those people, like what are we looking to achieve? Are there any red flags? Is there anything that's potentially going to stop the scheme from going through? And then we just deal, deal with it then. And then usually you sort of roughly know if there's going to be any sort of opposition in what it's likely to be. And then essentially you're either ready for an appeal or to go back in. But no, we didn't really have any issues with this at all. Fantastic. Because of course you have you have got experience of having to go for a second bite at planning. Because and this is what I mean, you know, a flip I know you did because I, I it was on my doorstep. I used to go and see it regularly. That wasn't all smooth. And it was on paper, how simple could be an old house that had been divided into two but had always been really one, be being sort of bought and put back to being, you know, sort of sorted out. And yet that got refused, didn't it, first time round? It, it didn't get refused. It, I tell you what it was. It was that we wanted the off-road parking for the two cars, I suppose, in the way that we did. But of course, you've got to tick the planning policy box and um, you've got to be able to drive out and forward gear, et cetera, et cetera. So we just had to tweak our development plan slightly to sort of show how we could still have the off-road parking and one so that people could reverse and drive out and forward gear, even though there were two drop curbs either side of both properties. But there we are. We just have to keep the planners happy. And we did, you know, just play the game and it was okay. And absolutely, that, that is very much, you, you know, you've got to know how, how and what the planners want to see because... To an unexperienced eye, you could have looked at that property and gone, there'll be no problem because look, drop curve, drop curve. We did. But yeah. they weren't where the, absolutely where the particular planners wanted. And they, they kept on being quite tricky about all sorts of things. And this wasn't really in the big scheme of things compared to what you do now and on a daily basis, difficult. No. No. Looking back, we but we did have some planning conditions on that one as well. And just just say things that soak away and things like you know what it's like when you deal with things for the first time you think oh my goodness and you just you want to get it so right don't you I remember I made such a mistake with that in that we did the work but I didn't realize you have to discharge your planning conditions before you do the work because of course they may say actually no you didn't so we had to go back into plan. I'd done it and because I was flapping because, oh, God, what if we, we had to do a track five entrance or an entrance, you know, from the park five metres into the, oh, my goodness, I was just thinking, I hope it's okay because, of course, it just costs thousands to do this work. Unfortunately, we're okay, but there we are. That was a learning that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but, you know, flip, small flips are still great fun and you're still doing them because, of course, they bring in lovely chunks of cash, don't they? They do. Yeah. We've just had another one agree, actually, um, in the same area that we did that, like, I love that area. Um, and that's a joint venture. So essentially, um, I sourced it. I'm going to do the work. My joint venture partner's putting in all the funding and then, then we'll split the profit at the end. So that's a nice one. Absolutely. And you, you've basically only just found property networking, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. You, you had a good, good source of investor funding to begin with. And suddenly when you, you realize the effect, because of course, most of us, uh, we're completely on the song, same song sheet here is that most people, when they go to you know, the property networking meetings, 
you either absolutely love it and think, oh, my word, I just love spending an evening like this. I can't think of anything more fun. And there are the others who go, oh, God, part of property. I really don't want to do this. And you came and presented and it's changed your life really, hasn't it? Massively. You can see the point. Yeah, a very uh, short few weeks, actually. It was great. I, I've not been, you know, I'm not really on social media. I don't, I've never really gone to the, I can see you almost flapping my wrist with your eyes there. <laughs> I, you know, I don't go to the network weeks. But actually, you know, I, I, I love meeting people. I really, and I, and I just prefer yeah. one-to-ones. You know, we have a coffee, you have some lunch, you talk all things life and property. I love that. But yeah, since I did the talk, my goodness, just people reaching out and, you know, just the possibilities there. I mean, I'm going to put in some funding next week and, you know, I've, I've not long known this chap and, of course, we've done our due diligence, et cetera. But yeah, the limits are endless. So I will be going to um, network meets. Um, but also, I think it's because it was a realisation, you know, it's all very well doing the joint ventures where I'm doing the work, you know, someone else puts the money in and then we split the profit. That's great. Even the source deals, whether they're turnkey or I just source them on for a fee. But then, of course, now we're doing bigger developments. I've gone, oh, I need more money for me to hold this or whatever we're going to do with it. And it's yep. not small chunks yep. of money. So now I've gone, oh, okay, I actually need to speak to people. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> Another lesson learned. It is one of those things that you have to learn because it's not the most scintillating way of spending an evening. And it doesn't matter how brilliant the speaker is who you go to see. And, you know, those of us who go a lot, we don't even bother to see who we're going to, who's speaking because that's not the point. And you get to that point of the evening when everyone stands up and says, hello, my name is, and you yawn quietly. And But ever so often, somebody comes into your world at one of those meetings and you think, where have they been? They are going to make such a difference to me. And it's that follow-up to that that, as you say, that's where the one-to-one sparks off, which so you can forgive all those evenings when you just cringed inside and thought, I'm hating every moment of this. But then you go to lunch or a coffee. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth those dragging yourself out, isn't it? When you're like, oh, I've got my kids, I'm so tired. I just want to have a cup of tea and go to bed. But no, I shall go to the network group. And then, uh, yeah. And that, yes, and that's part because you are living the dream as well. I, you very, I you are, the you, yeah, I, I, I am. I mean, you know, it, it's not that we want much, really. I, I home-educate my kids, as you know, and um, just autonomy and that freedom for me, just to kind of be able to do my own thing. And then property obviously enables us to have the lifestyle that we choose. Which really isn't a lot. I'm not into sort of flash cards and you know flash watches and things like that. But I, I'm very much into time, time being with my family, um, traveling, kind of nurturing relationships with my family and friends, and and I'm absolutely doing that. I, I don't really want to, I suppose, run to the top of the hill and just get to the top and look down and just think, da, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the whole journey, you know. <laughs> yeah. But also the fact is that, you know, you've just said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need much, but that, that will change depending on the, the, um, the, the part, how old your children are and what you're actually doing and, and your expenses. So is, it is about enjoying what you're doing at the moment and creating the lifestyle and, and being part of it. And that's some, you know, 
that doesn't equate with the fact that you got £15,000 for one source deal. And I know you source deals quite regularly to people. So that, was, that wasn't that was the only one you did this year. <laughs> and when you look at it like that, you realise that actually, you know, in one deal, you, you got a fit, well, half of the average person's salary in a year. That's unreal. That, therefore, and that, it, that, look at it like that and you go, no, I'm building the life I want because property gives me that. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, and um, I, I, was, I was literally on benefit before I jumped into property. You know, it, it just so happened. It, it just, none of us are exempt from these things happening. You know, I just so happened to get really, really sick. Um, from having my kids and and it just happened you know we were rehoused and all kinds of things which is it's absolutely fine so I'm very used to living quite frugally and things like that but yes when you've taken big chunks of cash it's lovely and it does change your life um yeah so it it doesn't really matter what you do or where you're from it's so achievable very true. And and I love the fact that, you know, because you, you had a very successful career starting off in the Royal Navy. You know, you were one of the, you know, you wore blue and bobbed about on the ocean sea, didn't you? You were on pretty big, are they boats or ships when they go above the the waves? They are ships. Yeah, I was on the, the fleet flagship HMS Ark Royals. So yeah, the big, the big aircraft carrier. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, how exciting. And so you had, you had that kind of life. And now you're, de- you know, and then you you went into care and you had you had your problems and everything else, and then you started your property business. Do you think some of the things that you learned in the services have really helped you be so focused when you're working in property? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's that foundation, isn't it? Of um, you know, you just get your head down and crack on, don't you? You just you don't need to drip and moan. There's always somebody worse off, and it doesn't really matter what sort of position you're in. Just get it done. And I think it's that probably mentality that I've always had. Um, yeah, that's probably the bare bones of it. Yes. And and also the fact is that if you are living the life, you're living in it, you've got to get yourself out of bed in the morning and get all those really boring bits. Because one of the things that has struck me about your supported living work is that there's actually quite a lot of paperwork involved. There is. There's an awful lot. You, you know, you, you, I think you really need to know what you're doing to do it well and to do it right and to make sure that your investment is safe and obviously the people that are living in your property are safe as well there's an awful lot of cogs is probably the best way to describe it but no you've got to put them together for them all to be able to turn in tandem that's for sure absolutely and i do remember you 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 had very long and prolonged conversations with councils where they were they were basically testing you weren't they does she know what she says she knows? Are, is she worth working with? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, my goodness. So it doesn't really stop because I'm, you know, I'm always nurturing new relationships. But, um, yeah, they, those conversations, they just, gosh, you get a, a real dressing down of what, you know, why do you want, what, why do you want to have, um, you know, develop, why should we work with you? And, um, you know, you, you have to be prepared with that. And, and I think if you just come in with the end user in mind and, and just sort of, well, okay, yes, I sort of have this care background, et cetera. But also it's just approaching it by saying, okay, well, what are your current needs and demands and how can I help? If we're able to work together, great, that, that's the, a real win. And if we're not, okay, that's okay too, isn't it? But yes, be prepared to um, 
embarked at. I think the, the housing managers and people like that, they're probably inundated with developers and people saying, oh, I, you know, I've got this property and I'd like to lease it to you, etc. But maybe it's just Norfolk and Suffolk. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's fairly universal. And also because, of course, I think we all forget in property is that we do the property and we hand it on and, and, and that's for somebody else to deal with. But actually, when you're working in this particular sector, um, what you do as the property person will have an impact on the end user, but the councils ultimately will carry the can if something goes wrong. So, you know, this is this is an area fraught with litigation and worries. And, you know, each council worker will know that at some point they could be on the news at six or look east or whatever, being having their someone poking their finger at them. So they've got to feel absolutely right that if they're working with you, that you are going to deliver what they need. Absolutely. And I can assure you, and I've had it, you know, I just met with a registered provider last week and hopefully we're going to do some work with, but you can imagine they were straight on the phone to the housing officer, the head of housing at the local authority. And I knew that because they called me. So it just goes to show that really? everybody, yeah, everybody talks to everybody. So, you know, if you say you're going to deliver something for someone, do it and do it well, because, of course, I'm sure you know as well, you know, when you work with local authorities, housing associations, my goodness, this is a great thing, by the way. It's just their standards are far higher than just, you know, when you're doing conversions and things and you do it all to regs, but they always want that bit more. Not a bad thing, but it's just worth knowing. No. They all you know, just go above and beyond, but, yep, everybody talks to everybody. Well... <laughs> Yes, that's a very, very good point to raise. So you, you know, how, these are big deals, and they they take several years. How many years for, or months did this this the big one take from flash to bang, to use a military phrase, from the moment you found it to deliver? Yeah, gosh, oh, it took over a year to even get in for the architect to survey the building, and and I mean it was talented. And, and it was just lots of conversations with the seller. You know, I went to her home, we had coffee. And I'm one of those people that, you, you, um, I think it's one of the things Susanna says, isn't it? don't rent your brain for free, isn't it? Well, I do. I have. I do do it yeah. because I'm really honest with what I say, what I'm going to do. And, and I sort of told her, I said, look, these are the people I work with. This is the plan. And yes, I appreciate perhaps she could have gone off and done it herself, but she didn't. And I, I actually think if you're honest, then you're kind of going to grow people's trust more. But essentially, it took a good year of toing and froing, and then we got it under option, which was great. And to be honest, I was just going to put it out as a sore steel. You know, I, I, I thought, gosh, you know, just be a lovely see, but nothing. I remember, you know, I said to them, nobody sort of, there was no bites through the investor list. And it was one of those moments when I thought to myself, oh, is this a really rubbish deal? And I, I literally questioned myself because I thought, but I can see what can be done here. And and perhaps nobody saw it. I don't know. But I thought, no, no, I shall I shall do it myself. So we did. Yeah, I've got to just raise the money and get going. And you know, from that from the point when you realized it was a goer, that that how many how many months or years was that to completion? It's easily two, isn't it? It has to be two. It is. Yeah, the option yeah. and then of course during the option period we went into planning and then and then of course so the seller, at this point, she'd stopped paying her mortgage. Then I found out that she'd, um, the solicitor had been instructed to repossess, so of course, key flapping slightly. <laughs> and then um, once, once we were given the planning, 
It was really, it started really because then it was all communication stopped. Stopped giving us access. Now, of course, that's a breach of the option, but I wasn't going to pull out. So um, it was a case of, oh gosh, right, you know, we're going to have to just buy it or flip it into auction. And I, I was going to put it into auction, but then I was thinking to myself, no, it's too good, it's too good. I withdrew it and I sort of put my toys back in the cot and thought, no, we will do it. We did get an offer on what, but I thought, and, it, and we sort of would have made 50000 but I thought, no, you know, for the sake of, you know, short-term pain, long-term gain, I said, no, we'll do it. And that's it, really. So we're just raising finance and just getting on. And that is, that is property developing in a nutshell. You find a deal, you have faith in what you do, and because we all structure deals differently, we all see different things in it. And if we can't flip it out, we go and fundraise and do it ourselves because the ultimate um, you know, prize in this is A, owning a building, which you're still debating whether you're going to keep it or not, and you got a sourcing fee and you got paid in many other different ways. And on t- this is the bit that is so difficult to get. You have now got the trust and the knowledge and the relationships with all those who can make it happen again for you, haven't you? That's, I think that's the key thing now because... Literally, I can. You, you can dip your toe into any locality now. This is a blueprint. You can just move this. I was in Bury St Edmunds last week, and we're now going to offer on their commercial unit, and it's very, very nice. I've already sent it to commissioners. I don't even have um, a floor plan of proposed what we want to do with it. But that's the beauty of it. It's those relationships are there now. You know, it's just I can ping it over to people that potentially buy it once it's developed into the sort of one bed supporting the unit, if that's what the commissioner wants. Or we could build it out as residential, we could jave it. There's all these options. And the beauty is I haven't even offered on it yet. I'm going to offer on it later this week. But the wonderful thing is we know what we're looking for. We have the right team in place. I can approach the commissioners before we even offer, which is wonderful because it just doesn't waste my time. It doesn't waste their time. And a, and a property's not going to sit there. We convert it and then it's just not fit for purpose. And then go, boom. What do we do now? Absolutely. And you you do you work up here in Norfolk and Suffolk, which they're in their own little bubbles. We are cut off from the world. We've got a major well, two major cities and a big town, Barry's and Edmonds. I don't even have a motorway going to them. We are marvelously sort of old fashioned everything else. And and in fact, you called your company Keep On Attraction, which <laughs> is a local word. Um, yeah. And that, that again, it's all about local people working with other local people, isn't it? And that's what you've built your your company on, really. I know. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But it's very much a local term. And we sort of use it these days. Or back in the day, it was keep threshing the reins, wasn't it? You know, tried the whole sport. But these days, we sort of say to someone, you know, keep your attraction. Because if if something's a bit tough or you need a bit of support, then you'll sort of just say that. So um, it's it's encouraging, really. But not only that, of course, local people know the, the, the um, dialect. So when they hear it, they remember it, which is really nice. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what you want, isn't it? People remembering who you are, all that effort, if they, you know, it's a nightmare if, if they don't remember who you are. So has property brought you what you expected it to when you first started? Because you, you, you just, apart from your, I know your father has a, a business with double glazed windows. So he got an inkling, you got an inkling about how, you know, the buildings could do something for someone. But you went off and, and learnt a, a, a bunch of stuff. Has it actually delivered for you? 
It has. I have to say, actually, coming in completely green to poverty, quite literally, those first few viewings was like, not on cable, that's a wall, that's a window, and that was about as much as I knew. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's delivered that unsome, really. I, I think I've I found a place within it where I feel very happy and um, capable in driving that forward now. I, you know, the supported living, I, I know it. I love it. I can see where we can make some really good positive difference. Um, and, and I can literally take that anywhere, which is wonderful. But yeah. So that, again, is so encouraging for people who are just starting out because we don't all have to do the same thing. We don't all have to uh, go down the HMA route or anything else. There's something for everyone. It's what do you feel good at and comfortable at, isn't it? There is. And I came into this green and you do kiss lots of frogs from contractors to other investors and oh my goodness and you regularly question yourself don't you as I still do but it's just the case of digging your heels in and I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that if someone's done it before me then it's possible it's really that simple isn't it so just go and do it yeah and just just get your head down and crack on that will keep on atrocious basically well that's it <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Maria, thank you so much for um, finding time out of your schedule today to be able to come and talk to us. That was most kind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I hope Maria has opened some new avenues of property interest. And even if we haven't answered every question that you could possibly come up with, if you are interested in doing supported living, come and find someone who is doing it well and listen to all the ins and outs bits and get the whole big picture because there's so much to it. I know that over the years that I've worked with Maria that she's always had more than one project on a go, you know, flips, working alongside the bigger developments, which, as you heard, take many months and perhaps even years to go to fruition, as well as being able to do source deals because these things all work together as a one. Supported living, it's a property niche that requires developers to be good at quite a number of things clearly perhaps not something for the beginner because you've got to be able to find the right properties which will work understanding what the occupant's needs will be you know being a great communicator with the commissioning bodies who are working very strict legal and government guidelines it's not just about being a fabulous person who they all like you put all that together and you've clearly got a property niche that not only works for the developer and is profitable but it really is a way to pay back into society and to be part of the bigger picture. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.